You know who you are. Just confess. Just come clean. You know what you did, and, and it goes against what we stand for. There we were at, at the University of Idaho. I was a freshman. Hundreds of high school basketball players from all over were at a team camp. And we're sitting around all the different basketball courts that were set up in the center of the Kibbe Dome with the college head coach staring us down, looking for a sign that he had met his culprits. Wouldn't you just feel better if you just came clean? Uh, nope, <laughs> not at all. Wait, what is he talking about? We're feeling the guilt. Uh, some of us were looking at each other going, is he talking about us? They can't, can't be talking about us. Uh, just about an hour before, uh, 20 of us had tried to text, test out the maximum capacity of the four-person elevator and had scientifically proven that stacking teen boys into a dorm elevator like cordwood would send it crashing down. It was a scientific test. It was we we were we were able to were confirming our hypothesis. Uh, but I was neither the ringleader, nor even slightly reluctant to join in. But I was certainly scared when we passed the lobby from the first third floor and went on the way to the basement. Uh, a nice little free fall. In fact, we, we ended up about 18 inches below the basement. And as we tumbled out, a few in the front got scraped up as we all just booked out of there, climbing over them in a panic to get to, well, to the stadium where we were met with the gaze and the sharp voice of the head coach. You know who you are. Just confess, just come clean. You know what you did. It goes against what we stand for here at camp and in this college. And we're looking at fellow, you know, members of the elevator test crew. And we're convinced that coming clean wouldn't help at all. This would not be the time to come clean. As it turns out, it was something else. We were free. <laughs> but we had our second sweat of the day. Uh, in the elevator going, oh my goodness, what are we doing? And then, then sitting there, it was pretty intense. In fact, no one likes getting called out. Nobody loves it. Uh, but sometimes it's super helpful. You don't like it, but it's helpful. Like, for instance, uh, there's, a, there's a bridge out ahead. But there's a safe U-turn in a half mile. What do you do with that? Like, oh, man... You know, I hate, I hate signs like that. Wow. You know, you say, I'm glad we saw that. I'm glad it's daylight. <laughs> I'm glad there's a sign. Not, oh yeah, there it goes again. The man just trying to scare me into obeying the oppressive rules of society. No, we say, well, that's, thank you. Wow, okay, a bridge out ahead. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to avoid that. But, so why do we consider a sincere warning about the state of our souls, about the state of our destiny, why do we consider that to be offensive? Peter, in, in his sermon here, to a crowd that has just gathered, in response to the healing of a man that had been born lame and then was just miraculously healed, Peter described repentance, turning around, 
bridges out up ahead as a source of blessing. It's not, it's not like, oh, you're the worst and, and, we, and you're terrible and there's no hope for you. No, it was a sincere warning about the state of their souls and their destiny. Don't be offended by it. Turn around. Repent, he says, so that times of refreshing and restoration may come. And, and, and we repent in, in many ways because the promise of blessing. We, if you're going to bless, you're going to bless me, well, I'll, I'll turn and, and, and receive that grace and that forgiveness. That seems kind of normal. Repent and be blessed. But at the end of this passage, at the end of this sermon, Peter says something really curious. Right at the end of the speech, he says, blessing, the blessing itself, is the confrontation, the warning that turned you away from wickedness, the warning that turned you around is a blessing. Have you thought about confrontation in that way as a blessing, that road out ahead sign as a blessing in and of itself? The blessing of an honest confrontation, and a loving but honest confrontation brings a turnabout or a repentance that leads to even more blessing. It's like a blessing sandwich, right? The blessing of the, the confrontation and the warning, and then the repentance that turns it around that leads you into even more blessing. So blessing comes before and after repentance. I want you to think about that. But blessing causes the repentance and then leads to repentance and then leads to blessing again. Today I want to show you that the blessed life is the repentant life because Jesus is the author of life. That's right, the blessed life is the repentant life. The repentant life and Jesus is the author of life. This newly healed man was experiencing restoration and blessing because of Jesus. He was walking and leaping and praising God. He was clinging to the to the apostles and praising God for this amazing turnaround in his life. His, his, his life was turned around by healing and it led him to then trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. Well, you think there was a more excited, avid follower of Jesus that day? Your turnaround can start with turning back to receive the same thing. Turn back. Let's, let's turn back to the passage. And if you haven't read it, uh, make sure you've got it handy. It's in Acts chapter 3, 11 through 26. And I, I want you to see just, just maybe the first couple of verses I'll read to you. So when Peter saw that the crowd had gathered, he addressed the people. He says, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made this man walk? And I want you to think about that for a second. Where does Peter put the focus? He says it's, it's Jesus. But think about, I don't know, think about TV ministries. Think about the different, different ministries that you've seen where Christians maybe come up and and uh, build a platform for healing ministry. Is that what Peter's doing? Uh, focusing a platform for his healing ministry? Come back tomorrow for more spectacular healing miracles by Peter and his crew. Peter's the rock. No, he, he shifts the focus away from himself. Isn't that telling? As you think about 
ministries that try to build a platform for a person as opposed to sharing the message of Jesus. It's, it's about the show. It's about the power or the assumption that this person is so close to God that, that they can do these healing miracles. It's about their power and their piety. And what does Peter say? No, that's not it. Peter is not drawing a crowd on purpose. The crowd is already there. Ben Witherington the third says, um, it's only when Peter sees the reaction of the crowd that he decides to speak to them. Wow, okay. He, he didn't come to this place to draw a crowd and speak. He's reacting to the circumstances beyond his control. Remember, they were coming just for a time of prayer. And Peter, again, has to step into that role of being the interpreter of what has happened and what it means. And so the, the awe of the crowd is to be redirected toward God. And, and so I just, just hold that in your mind because that's a, that's a different perspective. Many people try to, to point to themselves as the focus of this. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as if through our own power or piety we've made this man walk? It's, he, later he says it's in, it's, it's in Jesus' name, it's in faith in Jesus' name that has made this man walk. But there's a big question about what that means to have faith in Jesus that brings about healing like this. Perhaps you've heard that if you just have enough faith, if you have enough faith, um, you can see great things happen. Well, Peter says it's, it's not about how much power or piety that we have that, that makes anything happen. Or do we just repeat the name of Jesus? over and over and over to get the power. Every time I tune into a Christian radio station, it seems to be that's the case. Just say things over and 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 over, and maybe there's power in the name of Jesus by repetition. Or perhaps you've heard that faith is opposed to evidence. Well, just believe already. Just, just, just have faith. Well, Peter had ample evidence that Jesus had been healing and had healed around them. And he knew what power was in Jesus' name, in, in Jesus' presence, in Jesus' um, person. So he had plenty of evidence. He wasn't going against evidence. He was going with the evidence. Peter trusted in Jesus' power and knew that the power was right here in, in his people. Or perhaps you've heard that faith is checking all the boxes of right beliefs. Well, along with along with the Apostle James, we could say, well, even the demons knew who Jesus was. Does that, does that make them have the power of Jesus' name? No. They, they knew who Jesus was. They called him the Holy One of God. <laughs> that was before anybody else knew. He was the Holy One of God. Or perhaps you've heard that faith is a flying leap into the dark. So just close your eyes and jump, and that'll show God that you have enough faith to be caught or saved. In, in the great passage about faith um, of those who came before in the Hebrew story and, and pointing toward what it looks like to have faith in the future, um, chapter 11 of, of Hebrews, the preacher tells about faith. And, um, and it, wasn't, it wasn't this, right? It, it wasn't um, based on Noah's understanding of meteorology and and uh, against all odds, Noah believed he should build a boat. Um, 
By faith, Abraham had a gut feeling that he should leave his home. Uh, by faith, Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son based on a hunch, a leap in the dark. No, 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 no. I love what Matthew Bates says. He says that they acted in response to the call of a promise-fulfilling God with whom they had experience. No, no, God spoke to Noah and he obeyed. God spoke to Abraham and he obeyed. It was clear, this is what you should do. It wasn't a leap in the dark. They acted in response to a call of a promise-fulfilling God with whom they had had experience. So this word faith is, is P-I-S-T-I-S, pistis. And Matthew Bates goes on to say, it's not an irrational launching into the void, but it's a, a reasonable, action-oriented response grounded in the conviction that God's invisible underlying realities, like who God is and, and, and how he undergirds the world, that's more certain than any apparent realities. So it does reach into the God's space, into his dimension, to believe the truth about what he says. But it's not a leap in the dark. It goes in the direction of the evidence. Faith understands that this is God's world, that he is the underlying reality of everything. And faith in Jesus' name trusts that Jesus represents God to us. And that the Trinity has taken humanity into itself in Jesus. And that, that there's a there's a weaving together now of God's space and our space. There's no other name. There's no other authority. There's no other pathway to the blessed life than through Jesus. The bridge is out ahead. Turn back. Repent. There's only one pathway to the blessed life, and it's Jesus. You, can I love on you for a second? You won't find the blessed life, the life of eternal quality in your possessions, in your pleasures, in your self-preservation. You won't find it there. The only source in the universe of life and love and joy is in the Creator God accessed through Jesus in His name. Take that... <laughs> from Scripture, from Peter, take it from me as a loving warning. For now and for eternity, the only source of life, love, and joy is the Creator God. Receive Him through Jesus or, or be cast away from Him. Choose to not have Him and be void of life and love and joy. And so why is it in Jesus' name? Okay, why, why only through Jesus? Surely there are other ways to God, you know, to his goodness, his wholeness, to, to joy and life and love. Surely there's another way. Maybe you know the, the story of Scripture, but, but we're, we're, we, we see that only God does what is good and what is right and what is perfect. If you read the story from the from the beginning of, of Scripture, you get you get kind of hopeful, but then disgusted, and then kind of hopeful again. Disgusted that humans keep turning inward and doing what will benefit them, and 
hopeful because God keeps showing up to correct. Because only God does what is good and what is right and what is perfect. And if you've read through the story, through the Bible, then you come to Jesus. And we're introduced to him. We hear that he is holy, which is whole and and perfect, set set aside for for a, a work of God. That he's holy, but he's he's righteous. That he does right by God and right by people. He he becomes an object of worship, the subject of worship, because. Jesus always does what is good and what is right and what is perfect. He he follows in that example of sinless perfection, following God's example of only doing what is good and right and is perfect. He's, he's, He's the author of life. Jesus is the author of life. Wellsprings of life flow from him. He's the one we've been waiting for to connect God and man, to merge heaven and earth, God's space and our space into one realm again, to bring the kingdom of God to us. And so what happens? His people accept him as their king and they come out of exile. They're forgiven and he restores them as his family and the blessings pour out to the nations. No, no, a big no. That's nope, that's not what happens, right? In fact, the, the Jerusalem Jews, the, not the ones in the hillside, uh, not the ones in the country, where, in Galilee, these other regions where, where Jesus' followers were, were building and massing. And, and then, but when they came to Jerusalem, the Jerusalem Jews not only, not only rejected the Holy and Righteous One, and insisted on the murder of the author of life. But then, in, in, a, in a compounding evil sort of way, actually requested that a murderer be released. Someone who takes lives, and a revolutionary, is now released, but we're going to murder the author of life. And Peter is intentionally shocking them to open them up to receive the restoration and blessings long ago promised to them and available through Jesus, the Messiah, King Jesus. In verse 13, we see the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate, that's the governor, when he had decided to release him But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead and and were witnesses of that resurrection. Verse 17 says, And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of his prophets, that his Christ should suffer, he thus fulfilled. And so he tells him to repent, repent, repent. You can be forgiven of this. You can be forgiven of this. They acted in ignorance, and and God was actually working in the midst of their ignorance to bring about the suffering, dying Messiah, the Christ. The the other families that he mentions here in the bottom of the passage here with, uh, with Abraham talking about the blessings of other families, other nations, couldn't be blessed unless they were forgiven as well. Unless they were led out of 
captivity unless the dark powers that held them were defeated. They needed an exodus as well from the author of death. Now Peter takes care, says Tom Wright, to refer to God in a rather dramatic, almost formal way, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, the God of our ancestors. It's actually a quotation from the book of Exodus, Exodus 3, verse 6. And he says, the point is this. Exodus 3 is the moment when God calls Moses at the burning bush and tells him to go back from the desert into Egypt and lead his people out from slavery into freedom. It's time to turn around and come out, and the author of life is inviting you. And so I want us to just focus on the blessing of repentance right now. As we think about this, return to the author of life and you will truly live. Your creator and mine is the only source of love and life and joy. And if, if you reject him, you reject the blessing. Put more bluntly, reject the author of life and you're left in the embrace of the author of death. Now, can, can I put it that simply? Well, you've probably felt how unnaturally awful human death is. It grieves us. It wrecks us. And, and many live their lives even just avoiding the subject of death, preferring euphemisms about passing on, passing away, going to a better place. You see, death was added to our story. It wasn't in the original manuscript. When, when the first humans, uh, Adam, Eve, when they were created, death wasn't on the table. Death wasn't in the story, but death was added. It wasn't always this way, but death has an author. And he, Satan, is the enemy of your soul. And he will gladly drown you in your own ignorance, in your own pursuit of pleasure. He'll gladly keep you focused on that as opposed to pursuing the author of life. And so, um, so repent, you know. The Jerusalem Jews acted in ignorance and, and Peter doesn't hold them. They're not the Jesus killers. He, he says, you act in ignorance. Times of refreshing can now come. So there's no reason to be like, I hate the Jews because they did this thing. No, no, no. God used their ignorance, but is forgiving that ignorance as well. And so here, here's where we are. Repent, which is open your mind, which is nearly impossible to do when it's been deadened by the pleasures of sin. Nearly impossible to do. So open your mind and turn around, which requires divine assistance. <laughs> Maybe it's, a, maybe it's a word from a friend. Maybe it's a word from you to a friend which says, you've got to turn around, man. You're not going to find life and love and joy there. You're, you're, you're drinking out of mud puddles. Come to the source of true life. Turn around. So open your mind. Turn around and place your believing loyalty in Jesus, that faith that, that is action-oriented, that, that pursues the relationship with the king. It's a gift. Yes, the faith itself is a gift that, that binds us to our new king in allegiance. The blessed life is the repentant life because Jesus is the author of life. So turn back. Jesus has become the king by 
offering himself so that his enemies might receive forgiveness. Will you repent from hostilities? Pledge him your loyalty. Receive forgiveness and the gift of resurrection life. Maybe that's a first time thing for you. And I want to walk with you through that. So just email me. We'll figure this out. We'll talk. Um, but for some of you that, that have said yes to Jesus at some point in your past and then stopped saying yes to Jesus and started pursuing your own possessions, pleasure, self-preservation, it's time to repent as well. And I want to give you a pattern. Um, repent, obey, worship. R-O-W. Repent, obey, worship. So you've been walking this direction and you've been pursuing all these things, pleasures which, which are, are never satisfied. Do you realize pleasure and happiness are not the same? <laughs> happiness is a contentment. Pleasure is never content. Pleasure has to seek more and more pleasure. So you're walking this way and you're, you're pursuing pleasure and, and you're, you're gaining possessions and you're, you're working on self-preservation and really figuring that all out. And, and you've been bowing down to your job for your identity or you've been bowing down to these pleasures and these pursuits or you've been looking into your own soul as the source of life. I'm going to write my own story. Repent. Obey. Go the other direction. Go the other direction and worship Jesus as Lord. Dancing, leaping, praising God for Jesus. Repent, obey, worship. When you find yourself pursuing um, these other things, uh, turning away from God, turn back to God, repent, obey, worship. In a culture that tells you to look inside and find life, Look inside and find joy. Look inside and just acknowledge that you are the author of your own life. In this kind of culture, you are quickly moving downstream. And there's a waterfall ahead. Don't say I didn't lovingly warn you. There's a waterfall ahead. And so I want to say row. Repent, obey, worship. Row. Row your boat intentionally up the stream. A lifestyle of repentance is the blessed life. The blessed life is the repented life because Jesus is the author of life. Row, row, row your boat intentionally up the stream so you don't get swept away and overboard because there is no life, love, and joy over the falls. And maybe you can find some others to lovingly warn as well.